Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome to this Thursday episode of Live Mike. So much ground to cover. We're jumping right into it. A few weeks ago, the office of the Legislative Auditor General here in the state of Utah released some findings related to some emergency contracting practices. As you and I well know, we've been fighting this coronavirus at all levels, uh, both privately and in government. The schools are involved, churches. Everyone has been doing whatever possible and whatever was in their power to combat this coronavirus. At the state level, they obviously have the the resources of taxpayer funding, and that funding, that money, those uh, resources, uh, were put to use. In fact, to date, uh, spending on the battle against this coronavirus is in the $100 million neighborhood. Well, the Office of the Legislative Auditor General looked at uh, a narrow window of that spending. About 10% of it has been uh, spent on some some contracts that uh, have raised some eyebrows here and there. As you well know, there was the uh, the app uh, the the Healthy Utah app, which uh, it didn't exactly end up functioning the way it was supposed to. That was designed, or at least it was initially promised, to be used for contact tracing, and that the GPS functionality uh, would help people know if they were in close proximity to someone else who had come down, or it would also aid in the various health jurisdictions as they sought to understand the movement. Well, anyway, none of that worked, <clears throat> all right? What the app has done is essentially uh, put on all of our phones, those of us who downloaded it, a a survey which asks some questions. Are you sick? You got these symptoms? And that's been pretty much the extent of the functionality of that app. Not a very cheap app. And so uh, the Legislative Auditor General uh, a few weeks back uh, finalized a report, made that known, and now a larger and more comprehensive uh, audit coming from the Office of the State Auditor Two different offices there. Uh, the Office of the State Auditor, uh, as you well know, Auditor Frugal Dougal, John Dougal, uh, he uh, authored this and spearheaded this uh, study. Well, <clears throat> there are some criticisms contained within. Uh, one of the conclusions drawn by State Auditor John Dougal was that the state, uh, quote, the state did not adequately anticipate or prepare for this type of statewide, national, and global pandemic. Uh, to, to dive more deeply into the details of this audit from the state auditor, we have KSL News Radio's Kelly Pierce, who joins us on the line now. Kelly, how are you? Doing well. How are you doing, Lee? Good, good, good. Uh, t- tell us what else the auditor discussed in his report. Well, basically what this could be boiled down to is the cost of good intention. The state wanted to do everything to prevent the spread of coronavirus, but how they did it and how they went about it could have been better. Um, Let's just take the Healthy uh, Together app that you just 
said, I mean, the, the state was just so focused on getting that uh, up and running. They didn't look for other alternatives that could have been cheaper, that could have been um, worked, actually. I think that's just the best way yeah. to say it. Um, that was sort of the thing. So we ended up spending, you know, $6 million on a thing that didn't work. Um, when I interviewed Auditor Dougal, he basically said the other problem was Utahns are naturally skeptical of things that track them. So there wasn't a whole lot of buy-in from the community either. Are there suggestions on how to remedy this in the future contained within this report? Just, yeah, basically just having more people in the room with dissenting opinions. That seemed to be a common theme where if you maybe there are people in the room with dissenting opinions, but if you have more of them there, you're probably not going to run into as many problems as we did. Um, another thing that they pointed out, of course, was the Test Utah initiative. Uh, State Auditor Dougal told me, you know, they went around, they wanted to ramp up testing, right? So they went around and they asked people, hey, can you do this? Uh, the Silicon Slopes Initiative, uh, Test Utah, said, yeah, no problem. We can do that. The state paid a flat fee of $7.6 million, and not a whole lot of people took those tests. So that artificially raised the price of the test from $44 a test, which would have been pretty cheap, to $235 a test. So there was no one there saying, hey, maybe we should have a contract that says, we should pay you per test as opposed to a flat fee, because that's what really raised our prices. I understand. Uh, your full report available at kslnewsradio.com. Uh, Kelly Pierce, KSL News Radio reporter. Thanks so much for the info on this. Thanks for your insight, and thanks for doing the legwork on tracking down these details. No problem. This morning, about, uh, let me say, an hour and a half ago or so, Governor Gary Herbert uh, did respond to the, the claims made by and the concerns made by Auditor uh, Dougal. I'll let the governor respond in his own words. We said when we had some issues that came up uh, midway through this effort, uh, as we did our own internal audit to decide what was taking place and some questions on some contracts. Again, we're in a state of emergency and we have no bid contracts that are taking place. And we said that as we looked at what was taking place under these rapid-fire conditions, that there was some failure of communication between agencies and individuals. So communication was a problem. You can understand the fog of war, as it were, at that time. Utah, we, we set our own standards here. All right? We have uh, the ability right now to compare our progress uh, against, as we combat this virus, uh, against other states. And there are other uh, states and areas of the world that are faring far, faring far worse than are we here in Utah. And that may uh, move some to say, all right, well, we're not doing terribly. I mean, uh, let's uh, for a moment accept the recent spike. Uh, but there is never an excuse when you compare, all right? We set our own standards. Now, I want to share with you, before I go to break, this last point made by the governor here this morning, and it is very important, very, very important, and it's a true principle. You, you notice that uh, you and I here are having this conversation, uh, you know, in the in the safety and calm of uh, the radio studio. You're listening from your car or you're at home or you're at work. Uh, well, when these decisions were made, there was an unknown novel virus that was wreaking havoc on the globe. It continues to do so. Uh, but in those early days, there was much unknown and urgency was paramount. I, I say that uh, in defense of some of the, the maybe 
Now, in retrospect, seemingly hasty decisions and also that, quote, fog of war uh, that Governor Herbert may mention of. I, I might use a different phrase, but you understand uh, what he is communicating. But here, before we go to break, I want you to hear what the governor said. It is a sentiment which has been echoed by former Health and Human Services Secretary Mike Levitt. He said these very words in the past. I believe them to be very true. Everything we do before a pandemic will feel alarmist. Everything we do during a pandemic will feel inadequate. And that kind of sums up, you know, the audit. Uh, uh, we didn't do enough beforehand, and now we have people wondering if we're, we're reacting, overreacting. You don't excuse wrongdoing, but there is a certain measure of understanding that you must apply uh, when you are analyzing the actions of either a government or an individual or anyone who bears the responsibility of saving lives in a chaotic, a novel, a new, an urgent, and a confusing time. And that's what happened here. Uh, And we're going to take a break now. When we return, you heard some of the details revealed in this audit by the auditor. Uh, We're going to let the auditor speak in his own words next, explaining some of his concerns uh, with the way the state approached this. That's ahead on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. One of the interesting outcomes of the debate hangover I was left with yesterday uh, and the stress I was feeling throughout the whole day, including when you and I were back and forth about how frustrated we were and how to answer the question of who won the debate, well, there were no winners, only losers. You and I lost out. Uh, (laughs) It was funny because as we walked through all the various angles from which you could analyze uh, the debate yesterday, I found myself at the end of the day (laughs) missing missing being able to talk about COVID-19. So imagine, just in contrast, how frustrating and how taxing it was to talk about uh, the debacle that was uh, Tuesday night's debate when, at the end of the day, I was longing for the the days where you and I could spend a few minutes talking about COVID-19, the global pandemic. Uh, I I do want to share. It's not exactly true. I'm very much anxious for the election to be behind us, for uh, COVID-19 to be behind us. Uh, You might say, Lee, well, (laughs) when we arrive at that day, what are you going to talk about? Uh, Well, then you and I will be able to have uh, nice, civil, friendly, happy uh, conversations. We can focus on, uh, you know, normal, everyday news. Uh, And there's a lot of fun to be had there (laughs) instead of being bogged down by these uh, anomalous events here. Anyway, I do want to talk to you for a few more moments here about uh, this pandemic. We're going to get back into the details uh, that were released in a state auditor uh, review uh, that authored by uh, John Dougal, state auditor, Frugal Dougal. Uh, he has some observations. He was on the air earlier today. I don't want to walk through some of the observations that he made, but first uh, I want to share with you some more of the the data which was released just today by the Utah Department of Health. We get this data every day. Uh, It is the the big, long email, which includes uh, the number that you heard reported just a moment ago by Maria Chaleos, the the positive cases for each day. You heard that today's number is 987, uh, which gives us a a rolling seven-day. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's incorrect. The increase today was 1,008. 1,008 for October the first, and the rolling seven-day average for positive tests is 987. Now, I have, and you've heard me go on about this. I'm sure. I have each time I speak with, say, a superintendent uh, or someone from the uh, the COVID-19 task.
task force at the state level. Anytime I have an opportunity to speak with a, a, a like a decision maker, a policy maker, my questions uh, always I- include at least this: I want to know, I want to know what the benchmarks are. When there are changes in policy, when we decide that it's safe or unsafe for children to be in the schools, when we decide it's uh, safe or unsafe to relax the color-coded guidance handed down by the State Department of Health, I want to know what numbers are being followed. And if I'm honest, it's been very, very difficult to nail these policymakers down uh, when it comes to uh, you know the, the, the objective benchmarks. Now, I do understand. I do understand the response I get to that, and it is often uh, that, listen, Lee, there are so many varied uh, factors here to consider that it would be unfair and unwise, uh, and it wouldn't be strategically beneficial if we were to zero in and focus on one number. That's all preface. Everything I've just said now is preface, because uh, when I really do push them, when I really do say, listen, I get it, I get it, but where, what number should we be following? And it is, of course, the seven-day rolling average for percent positive lab tests. The seven-day rolling average for percent positive lab tests. Now, for the Salt Lake City School District, they're not back in the classroom until that number, uh, plus some other numbers, but until that number is below 5%. Yeah, right now it stands at 13.6%. 13.6%. If there is any bright spot with that number there... I will say that it is the lowest it's been since last Saturday, but not by much. I'll tell you, today, 13.6%. Yesterday, Wednesday, 13.6%. Tuesday, 13.7%. Monday was 14 13.9% for Sunday, and 138 for Saturday. So really, not much movement on that number. <clears throat> now, uh, Dr. Dunn says that trends really ought to be uh, observed only uh, in the two-week time frame. And I'm looking here just at uh, five or six days, and so that's unfair, and I'm not being fair to uh, you know the statisticians who would say, hey, Lee, uh, you're a little hasty there. But I will say that over, over the past six days, uh, we have been able to hold steady in terms of our uh, percent positive rate. So whatever that means, uh, it's certainly not an increase. And so I'm going to score that one a win. Uh, let's stay this course and redouble our efforts. All right, I'm sorry. Sometimes I get... Sometimes I get a little too hung up on, on these numbers, but I'm just looking for bright spots. I want some 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 sort of positivity here, um, and uh, that's where I find it. I try to track it down in the numbers. Uh, all right, so as I mentioned, State Auditor John Dougal has released uh, this this audit. He, this morning, uh, was on with uh, Dave and Dejanovic, and uh, what he shared was that first the state paid $6.3 million dollars Uh, for the app. That's the Healthy Together app. Uh, You heard Kelly Pierce describing that. Uh, But the audit, after after the state spent that $6.3 million, the audit found that there was really no evidence to indicate the state had performed, uh, you know, robust cost analysis to determine whether that price was reasonable. There there wasn't really a study of the market, well, because there wasn't exactly a market for that uh, type of device. Uh, but the, the the audit claims that uh, there, you know, there really wasn't uh, much energy put into that. Uh, second, the state uh, was mistaken. It claims in the audit that people would accept one of the key functions of the app, one of the claimed functions. Uh, here this morning on David Dejanovic is John Dougal describing uh, that one mistaken assumption by the state. The first thing we noted in our audit is the emergency planning folks, despite noting pandemics being a high risk, 
they really didn't do sufficient planning and preparation for whatever might hit us as a pandemic. So discussions about contact tracing and how best to do it likely should have happened early in some of those tabletop exercises. So when faced with it, uh, the governor's office thought that tracing location was a critical aspect that they thought was important. We questioned whether Utahns really would have supported that kind of concept, understanding the culture, but they went down that path, spent $4 million, of which potentially upwards of $6 million will be spent at the end of the day. I wrestled with that element myself. I, I downloaded the app, uh, but then you have some like opt-in options. At least it was claimed, and so I uh, I downloaded the app to uh, you know to explore it as a journalist and all. Uh, and then I asked myself, okay, well, as a, a citizen now of the state of Utah, uh, how much do I lean into this functionality? And uh, ultimately, I was. Uh, you know, never pressed to make that decision because the functionality never presented itself. But I, I really uh, was never able to decide if I would have turned on the tracking function or not. I may have with a work phone or something, but uh, but I, I never really knew uh, my feelings, uh, and uh, unfortunately, was never given the the opportunity to 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 really be forced to make a decision uh, after. After Auditor Dougal there explained, uh, you know, some of his findings, Debbie asked him uh, his findings about the app. Uh, Debbie asked, uh, was the app, frankly, a waste of money? Well, ultimately, it didn't deliver what they were hoping that it would deliver. Now, that's not the problem of the app company. That was clearly an issue for the state. The app company delivered essentially what we requested, um, but the state's analysis um, didn't, didn't pan out. I want to leave you with uh, one final thought, and it was uh, something that we have heard uh, in the past by uh, former Health and Human Services Secretary Mike Levitt. And this morning, uh, in response to this audit released by John Dougal, uh, Utah Governor Gary Herbert, uh, he, he laid something out. He explained a principle with which I agree uh, wholeheartedly. Here's the governor. Everything we do before a pandemic will feel alarmist. Everything we do during a pandemic will feel inadequate. And that kind of sums up, you know, the audit. There are no excuses for being frivolous with taxpayer money. I am not claiming that that happened, nor even is the auditor. But there is, uh, I believe, uh, some acceptable leeway that ought to be granted an organization which is tasked with protecting protecting quite literally the lives of its citizenry. I am grateful for much of what has been done. I am eager to learn from the lessons uh, revealed via the shortcomings. Uh, But I think uh, that as we look at what has been done compared to where we may have fumbled the ball a little bit, uh, the positives and the good work that has been done has far outweighed uh, any of the shortcomings. That's my take. We're going to take a break right now. When we return, I want to talk to you about uh, an unfortunate reality which has emerged. You and I have touched on this topic for uh, a number of months now, and this terrible, heartbreaking trend of increased domestic violence only continues as the stress continues to be felt by this COVID-19 virus. That's ahead on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, 
but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.